Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. The western United States is dealing with a 23-year mega drought that has left the southwest with very little water. To put it bluntly, the Colorado River Basin is drying up. Today we'll talk about what that means for the millions of people who depend on that water, and we'll look at what states and regulators are doing to ensure that communities get the water they need to survive. Hello and welcome back to Parts for Billion, the environmental podcast from Bloomberg Law. I'm Matthew Schwartz sitting in for David Schultz. Seven Western states are frantically working to reach an agreement on how to divvy up the available water ahead of a February 1st deadline at which point the federal government has suggested it will impose its own rules to fix the problem. Joining me to discuss the latest is Bloomberg Law's water and public lands reporter, Bobby McGill. Bobby, thank you for being here. Hi. So this drought has been going on for decades now. What exactly does it mean in practical terms? We know there's a drought, but it's it's about more than just people getting enough drinking water, right? How bad are things? Yeah, so the West's drought started in the middle of the year 2000. It contributes to wildfire. It contributes to low reservoir levels that uh, restrict the amount of water that both farmers and cities receive. It reduces stream flows. It has tremendous impact on, on just general water availability for drinking water, but also for fish and other species that use streams and other wetlands. One of the primary effects of of the drought has been just the massive wildfires out west. Let's just lay out the geography of the problem right now, just so we can picture it. The states out there get a lot of water from the Colorado River. Right. Where does the river actually start and where does that water flow? The Colorado River starts in the Rocky Mountains and it's fed by mountain snows. And all of that runoff historically it trickled down to the to the sea of cortez in mexico but that doesn't happen anymore because people for decades and decades now have built cities and suburbs in pretty dry places and so they had to have water and one of the ways they obtained that water was to dam the colorado river so that they could create reservoirs and hydropower dams and basically take water from those reservoirs so which states are actually fed by the colorado river So the seven states of the Colorado River Basin, they're actually divided into the upper basin and the lower basin. The upper basin is where the water comes from. The lower basin is where most, not all, but most of the water users are. There are 40 million people in this basin, plus five and a half million acres of farmland that produces a lot of your winter vegetables, for example. So it serves, you know, cities from Denver all the way to Los Angeles. The upper basin is Colorado, Wyoming, New Mexico and Utah. The lower basin is Nevada, California, primarily Southern California, and Arizona. And is there a law or an agreement that exists to apportion the water between the states? It's called the Colorado River Compact. It was signed in 1922 when water was abundant. There's a certain amount of water that the upper basin is obligated to to send each year to the lower basin. And it's really tenuous because The upper basin entirely depends on the amount of snow and rain they get, mostly snow. And the lower basin depends on how much water is in the reservoirs so they can get a continuous amount of water to feed farms and cities. 
And just so we're clear about the scope of the problem, when you say that this drought affects millions of acres of farmland in those states that produce vegetables, it seems like you're implying that this drought doesn't just affect people in those states. It seems like it would affect everybody in the country who might want to purchase those vegetables. Is that right? This is a national problem because the water that the Colorado River provides to farmers basically provides part of the economic engine for the southwest of the United States. So what happens down there affects the rest of the country. It affects the food supply. Um, your lettuce that you get from the store right now, there's a pretty good chance it came from southern Arizona near Yuma and the farm fields in that region. Those are, are entirely fed by water from the Colorado River. So let's talk more about that law from 1922 that you mentioned. Is it, is it working well today to, to divvy up this water? So it worked well for a while, although there's probably some arguments about that. Today, it doesn't work quite as well. Why does the law no longer work? That law was signed with the assumption that the amount of water that was in the system in 1922 was going to remain, that, you know, Mother Nature would provide a steady amount of water or snow every year. And that has not borne out. So that law didn't take into account the possibility of a 20-year drought. That's right. And there's no evidence that the drought is really subsiding. And scientists are pretty clear that in the long run, we're watching the continued aridification of the West, which means there's going to be less and less water in the system. All right. Well, let's talk about possible solutions. You wrote that officials say they're optimistic that states will reach a consensus agreement in the next couple of weeks. Tell me about what this agreement might look like and how we got to the point where the states are actually working together to reach an agreement. So the states have always worked. To, I mean, the, the Colorado River Compact is an example of states working together to solve a regional issue, which was, you know, how the river should be governed and who gets how much water from this multi-state river system. The situation we're in now is a result of the drought and there is a long-term water shortage, and the states are having to come together to deal with that. Part of the problem is that the two major dams on the Colorado River, they produce hydropower, and if the reservoir levels drop below a certain point, it causes lots of problems. They won't be able to produce hydropower anymore. And the Bureau of Reclamation, which runs those dams, you know, is able to potentially mandate regional water cuts against the state's will if, if it comes to that. The states desperately don't want the federal government to step in and tell them how to cut water. And so they are highly motivated to come together and figure out a way to make those cuts. Now, what happened last year was that for the first time, the federal government, the Bureau of Reclamation, part of the Interior Department, declared a water shortage on the river. In December, the Bureau of Reclamation said to the seven basin states, hey, if you don't have a, a water cuts plan by early 2023, we're going to be very likely to, you know, impose some cuts on you, or at least consider that. And um, the the thing is that the deadline's a little fuzzy. They said February 1st, but they said there's some flexibility there. And it's, they're trying to give the states as much of an opportunity as possible to come up with their own solution. Do we know what that solution might look like? Most folks seem to agree that the lower basin states are going to have to find ways to cut water. It's really complicated because each of the lower basin states has its own internal issues with how water is allocated within the state, and they have to make some pretty difficult choices there. You know, they've got some other systemic issues they've got to figure out, including how to deal with evaporation, like more than a million acre feet of water. Again, a lot of water is lost just to the air, the evaporation. So they're trying to figure out how to stem that water loss. 
There's a number of unresolved issues. It's going to require probably a, a pretty complicated technical, legally technical solution. And nobody's quite willing to make public exactly how that's going just yet. So you wrote that the talks between the states are currently in a delicate place. Do we know what that means exactly? Like, do we know what the sticking points in the negotiations are? Or are they holding this pretty, pretty tight to the vest? Well, it's delicate because, I mean, these are all political, like, you know, for example, if you're, I mean, there, there was a situation in, in Arizona just this week, not directly related to this, but it shows you the delicacy of the issue, which is that, you know, the city of Scottsdale cut off the water supply to a, a neighborhood north of town because they just didn't have enough water to go around. And it's, you know, people are pretty upset when somebody's forced to cut back on water against their will, or if it means it could mean lost jobs, it could mean less production. It, it could mean, you know, that some residents in some places don't get to water their lawns. Some farmers don't get to produce crops this next year. That's a pretty delicate situation. When we return, Bloomberg Law's Bobby McGill talks more about who the winners and losers could be under whatever consensus agreement is reached. Which states will get first dibs on the water? Stick around. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Welcome back to Parts Per Billion. I'm speaking with Bloomberg Law's Bobby McGill. So you keep talking about making cuts, and it, it seems like, in theory, oh, yeah, that, that makes sense. Just cut, reduce your water usage. But how could states enforce this, and what kind of impact would this have on real people? Like, how do you just make cuts? How does that even work? People need water. People need water, but there has to be the water for them to need. Um it's going to hit farmers before it's going to hit cities for the most part. Cities have, throughout Arizona and California, have done a lot to reduce their water consumption, some better than others. But, you know, it's a matter of whether or not water is actually diverted from the Central Arizona project or or in California to, to farmers. And they just may not get what they need to grow their crops. So the states are working on an agreement internally, probably which will include many of the states or most of the states making cuts. If they can't come up with an agreement, can we expect the federal government to come in and just mandate cuts? Yes. That's what they're afraid of. The Bureau of Reclamation will basically turn off the faucet if necessary. Wow. But it's not clear what that's going to look like. The Bureau of Reclamation has basically said they don't want to do that. They want to come up with a what they call a consensus solution that the states come up with themselves, and most states would agree to that. And uh, it's not going to be a, a situation of you know, each state cutting equally. And one of the sources of tension here is that, you know, because most of the water users are in the lower basin, the upper basin wants to make sure that a lot of the water use cuts are down there and not in the upper basin. You mentioned a minute ago that some of the states have senior priority and some have junior priority. How does this work exactly? How do they determine who gets access to the water first? Again, it's it's determined by the compact, but the bottom line is the way it generally works is, you know, first in time, first in right. 
if you were there first and you claim the water first, then your water rights have seniority over over others. The Central Arizona Project, which feeds the metro areas in, in Arizona, that has junior water rights, you know, compared to Southern California. And so there's concern about how and if the state of California is going to exercise those rights in this particular situation. And I'm wondering how do tribal water rights play into all this? Do, do the tribes have a seat at the table? They do. And it's a wild card because for lots of historical reasons, as you can imagine, you know, the Colorado River Compact signed in 1922 did not include Native American tribes. It's taken many decades and court decisions to quantify the water rights of indigenous tribes. Well, you talk about senior priority. Who was there first? It seems like they were there before everybody. Exactly. And so they're going to get senior water rights, which means that somebody who's using the water right now is going to have to give it up. And so that's going to create some tension. And I think if you're a city and you're using water that might eventually go to a tribe, you're probably going to cut a deal with that tribe. And I think that's going to be part of this equation. But over the last 45 years or so, some tribes have been able to quantify their water rights. But the big wild card is the Navajo Nation. The Navajo Nation has had its water rights quantified in Utah and New Mexico because it spans three states. But the bulk of the Navajo Nation is in Arizona, and that has yet to be quantified. Um, tribal water rights could actually consume a, a good quarter of, of all the water in the Colorado River Basin. That's a lot of water. So it's unresolved. Nobody knows exactly how this is going to play out especially as water supplies dwindle. And this is a real environmental justice issue because a large minority of the Navajo residents, they don't have running water. They don't have the infrastructure to provide running water. And so they have to truck their water in or they get it from someplace else. And it's, it's, a, it's a real tragedy that, you know, thousands of people, thousands of Americans simply don't have faucets in their house. We are in the second half of January right now. When can we expect states to reach a tentative agreement? Well, it sounds like they're going to try earnestly to agree to something um, by uh, the end of the month. Whether they will or not remains to be seen. I imagine we're going to hear something, you know, in the first half of February. It sounds like that's a goal, but um, it's really anybody's guess as to when this is going to be finalized or even if it's going to be finalized. That's Bobby McGill, Bloomberg Law's Water and Public Lands reporter. Bobby, thank you so much for being here. You bet. Thank you. And that's it for today's Parts Per Billion. If you want more environmental news, check out our website, news.bloomberglaw.com. That's news.bloomberglaw.com. Today's episode of Parts Per Billion was produced by myself, Matthew Schwartz. Parts Per Billion was created by Jessica Coombs and Rachel Daigle and is edited by Zach Sherwood and Renee Schof. And our executive producer is Josh Block. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Those nine justices in Washington can be hard to keep track of. That's where we come in. On our podcast, Cases and Controversies, we give you a week-by-week accounting of the Supreme Court, the filings, the arguments, the opinions, and much, much more. Check in on Fridays with Bloomberg Law's Cases and Controversies to find out what's coming up on the horizon of the Supreme Court. Download and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. 
join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at cuttereconomicforum.com.